Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Mr. President, just a quick follow on the same theme of consequences. You said just now that you spoke to him a lot about human rights. What do you say would happen if opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies? I made it clear to him that I believe the the consequences of that would be devastating for Russia. I'll go back to the same point. What do you think happens when he's saying it's not about hurting Navalny, this, all the stuff he says to rationalize the treatment of Navalny? And then he dies in prison. I pointed out to him that it matters a great deal when a country, in fact, and they asked me why I thought it was important to to continue to have problems with the president of Syria. I said because his violation of international norm is called a chemical weapons treaty. Can't be trusted. It's about trust. It's about their ability to influence other nations in a positive way. That is the president of the United States, Joe Biden, in 2021, speaking in Geneva, Switzerland. He sounded somewhat more cogent back then. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Uh, It's not your radio. It is uh, my voice. This cold is going out with a, hey, Tony, we hate you. And I'm just trying to get rid of it as well. But that was Biden in 2021 discussing dissident Alexei Navalny, who, of course, was the leader of the opposition to Vladimir Putin, who, when he returned to Russia immediately, was put in jail and today died in jail at the age of 47. He went for a walk. On Friday, and then he fell ill, and then he was unconscious, and now he's dead. Who knows how these things happen? Yeah, it's Russia. By the way, that's the the new uh, sitcom uh, that's available all over Moscow. That's Russia. Featuring uh, Vladimir Putin and uh, a strongman to the south to be named later, and special guest star Tucker Carlson. No? Too soon? Oh, come now. Interview, no problem. Thinking that, wow, they have really clean supermarkets. They're better than us. That's a whole thing. But the conversation here is about Joe Biden's words. And as we are seeing it, so we're following a multiplicity of things. Producer Carl is working overtime. We have Senator Todd Young scheduled to be with us to discuss this exact situation and what it means for the future of U.S. relations with Russia, for Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and whether or not this changes the United States' support for Ukraine to a greater extent. How do you then get the House of Representatives to act on legislation that you've already put forward through the Senate? Regarding funding, which isn't so much about funding for Ukraine as it is about building up stockpiles of ammunition that will be done through the United States. 
So why wasn't this a bill about ammunition and instead a bill about support for Ukraine? But Joe Biden's on record. Joe Biden is on record. Mr. President, just a quick follow on the same theme of consequences. You said just now that you spoke to him a lot about human rights. What do you say would happen if opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies? I made it clear to him that I believe the the consequences of that would be devastating for Russia. Now it's time to understand how. He said the words devastating to Russia. How? How is it devastating? What nonsense blabber was utilized in June of 2021 in Geneva, Switzerland? And how does that affect us today? And if you want to wonder why I'm a guy who weeks ago, before anybody else was saying it, said the 25th Amendment had to be invoked and Joe Biden has to be removed from power. It's because this moment is the exact moment you cannot have an old man with a poor memory in charge. You think this is the safest moment? With all due respect, you're out of your head. And for those of you screaming, but Trump, do you understand how ridiculous your commentary has been since the very beginning? We live in the real world, a real dangerous world. Of course, Vladimir Putin has globalist ideals. He has expansionist desires. There is no question. Of course, he's moving uh, and, and amassing forces in a way that would threaten Estonia. This isn't the first time we've had the conversation. Of course, he is working towards how he can engage more weaponry from space. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, will be with us to break that down a little bit further. Of course, his plan is to throw body after body after body after body without regard for what body it is at Ukraine until he takes what he can take. I have always argued it's going to end with some loss of land for Ukraine. Well, now you got to wonder whether it's going to end with the loss of Ukraine. We are following this. And Joe Biden is set to speak sometime uh, this afternoon. Uh, my plan is, is to bring it to you uh, to the best of my ability. We're also following what in the world is happening with Fonnie Willis. Because that story is nuts. That Fonnie Willis takes the stand yesterday. And it is this I mean, wait, first let me take a step back. She is the uh, district attorney in Fulton County in Georgia. She is the one bringing charges against President Trump under RICO, the racketeering statutes. She is the one who hired her lover, Nathan Wade, paying him more money than she would have paid somebody else. And now, after learning about their relationship, which may have started earlier than both of them said... We find that he took them on vacation, the two of them, multiple vacations, put everything on his business credit card. And she allegedly, thank you there, Squirrely Dan, paid him back in cash. In cash. Sure. Sure she did. Because she keeps cash around the house because her dad told her to keep cash around the house, which is not a bad idea, by the way. But he pay, she paid him back? No. How about this? 
She overpaid using the public's money. She got vacations because that was the price of the overpayment. That's called the kickback. Some people would call it money laundering. Now that I think about it a little bit more, I think it's just a kickback. And she's on the stand yesterday because she didn't want to take the stand. She was fighting the subpoena because you've got uh, some of the defendants in this case now charging her with impropriety. She shouldn't be allowed to prosecute this case. And so they put Nathan Wade on the stand and that dude is like, I, I don't I don't know how to describe it except, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I paid for this, I paid for that. She gave me cash, it was cool. Like it's the most nonchalant thing in the world. It's a little bit more than nonchalant. And then Fonnie Willis is like, oh, I wanna take the stand. Oh, I wanna have this out. And she does. In 2019, he's never been to South Fulton. In 2019, I lived in South Fulton. He has never been to my residence in 2019, ever, not once. In 2019, he's never been to your residence, any place. I lived in my home in South Fulton before I started getting the threats that were here, a house I paid for with my own sweat and tears. I'm no longer able to live there. But in 2019, I did. And in the two months of 2019 that I knew Mr. Wade, three months, the beginning of October, all of November, and all of December, Mr. Wade never came to my house in South Fulton. Let me help you out. I lived there in 2020. He never came to my house in 2020, let alone live with me, as you put falsely in these documents. In the first three months of 2021, when I could still enjoy my home, Mr. Wade never came to South Fulton, and it is certainly a lie that he lived with me. So in 2020, so you said 2019, 2020, did Mr. Wade ever visit you at a place that you He has never been to my home in South Fulton. 2020 was before I knew that a phone call was going to be made and I was going to have to abandon my home. As a result thereof, he never visited, lived at, came to, or has seen South Fulton. You qualified that with your home in South Fulton. I'm That's where I lived in 2020. In 2020, did he ever visit you at a place that you resided? Okay. I don't understand. You want to give me that. In 2020, I lived in South Fulton. That's the only place I lived in South Fulton. That's before I had to abandon my home, Judge. All right. And now she's asking the judge to explain what the heck is going on. She was out of her head. I'm going to break down more of this uh, coming up. So we are watching for President Biden if he has words about uh, the death of Alexei Navalny. We are um, getting ready to speak with Senator Todd Young. He'll be with us a little bit later from Indiana. He is a guy who voted for the aid package, uh, the, the money for Ukraine, for Taiwan and for Israel. Uh, We are waiting to see if there is a ruling in this case against Fonnie Willis that would take her away from actually being in charge of the case against Donald Trump. That's all happening today, right now, as we speak. We are covering every bit of it. We will bring to you exactly what we have when we get it. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.
Meanwhile, the Dow is down 25. NASDAQ is down 38. I will get to more of the markets. Coming up in a little bit as we're watching a whole bunch of news stories that are breaking all around us. Maybe some understanding of what's going to happen with Fonnie Willis. We're going to possibly hear from President Biden. In the midst of it all, how about something calming and relaxing? Something to make us all feel better. Like, for example, I I, I don't know, um, a uh, Mansion Romney 2024 ticket. I hate Illinois Nazis. That was totally unnecessary. That was uncalled for. I apologize, Joe Manchin and Mitt Romney. That was just that was just wrong. I'm just saying that, you know, the 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 no labels ticket of Manchin Romney. Ew, David. That's the that is so rude. That would be a winner. No? 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 No. I, did I say hello, Tony Katz? Tony Katz today? That's me. That's the the the, the show. Joe Manchin was at uh, at an event where, of course, he doesn't want to, you know, discuss uh, launching a third-party presidential bid, but stated, hypothetically, this is what he says, hypothetically, if I was picking my running mate, really who I would ask right now is Mitt Romney. I don't know what you want me to do. What what in the world do you want me to say? What could I possibly say? It's embarrassing. It really is. Really, really is. May I ask? Not not necessarily you, right? And don't think about your own politics, right? You're 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 biased and you're slanted. You're whatever you're bought and paid for. Whatever it is they say about somebody who's made up their mind. Um, let's say you haven't made up your mind. Has your mind ever gone to Mansion Romney? Where is the marketplace here? Where where does it exist? Who is it for? Where is the person? Who says, that's, that's the answer. That's what I've been searching for. That's who speaks for me. Now, I can say to you that there are a fair amount of conservatives who feel like they're on an island. Nobody's talking for them. They'll vote for Trump if Trump's the nominee. They'll do what they have to do. But man, they don't feel like anybody's talking to them, listening to them, being rational, They're not populists. I'm one of those people. Not a populist. No thank you. There's my arm's length. Have a nice day. It's it's a terrible idea. It's a flat out dangerous idea. No thanks. So where is the actual conservative voice engaged in the conservative conversation and engaged in these ideas about how you move things down the road, the maximum amount of liberty with the least amount of government? How do you create a a society in which you don't have a constant uh, warring uh, segment, but you aren't afraid to utilize your power? That candidate ain't there. 
that candidate is not there. Because if you say to me, well, that candidate is Trump, no, 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 no. Trump is the candidate who's going to say no to war. Nope. No war. The answer is not no war. I know that's going to sound weird to people. Oh, so you're a warmonger, Tony. No, no, no. Because that would mean that the answer is always war. The answer is there are moments where one has to fight. I, I would think that that is the, the agreeable place. There are moments where one has to fight, and there's moments where one has to fight properly. And there are moments where one should be supportive of ideas and ideals that would ensure we don't have the fight, but somebody else does, maybe. Maybe. Which is the conversation about the support of Ukraine. Joe Manchin and Mitt Romney don't fit that bill, do they? Joe Manchin and Mitt Romney don't fit that bill because what is it about what they would discuss that would make one believe they would start with the ultimate first step, which is a conversation about strength? How would Joe Manchin and Mitt Romney go about building a military? How would Joe Manchin and Mitt Romney go about building an economy? And what would make anybody think that Joe Manchin could be trusted after he allowed for the Inflation Reduction Act? And how could anybody think Mitt Romney could be trusted if he's a guy who could be shut down by Candy Crowley? Both of these men have had opportunities to engage in a level of leadership that people could say, huh, both missed their opportunities. Mitt Romney could have been president. And we all forget how close he was. Now, you say to me now, thank goodness he wasn't. And I'll say to you, not having a second term of Barack Obama, second term of Barack Obama, you would have rather had Mitt Romney. I mean, that's just, that is just factual. But I get your point about a disdain for Mitt Romney. I would never have wanted a Joe Manchin presidency, but he had an opportunity to really stand up and say to this party, you have to stop being crazy with the spending. And instead, he got suckered in, feel the air quotes, suckered in to the Inflation Reduction Act. He didn't understand that it didn't reduce inflation. Well, I'm sorry. Two strikes and you're out and you each got one. I don't know where that audience is. I don't know who those people are who would be attracted to this idea of a mansion Romney. I think the only people attracted to it are the people who work for Manchin or Romney. That is not to say that there won't be a place for a third party or there couldn't be a place for a third party. I believe that, that there could. Do I believe it's Robert F. Kennedy? Maybe for some people, not for me. If my choice was Manchin-Romney and Robert F. Kennedy, I'd, I'd have to start drinking more bourbon. But there is going to eventually be more and more of this third-party talk and third-party movement. But Manchin-Romney cannot kick it off. Where is that audience? I mean, I brought it from, from the political right. Where in the bloody world is it from the from the political left? 
and you think it's with these two guys? Nah. Nah, this is this is some good pipe dream stuff. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. Mr. President, just a quick follow on the same theme of consequences. You said just now that you spoke to him a lot about human rights. What do you say would happen if opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies? I made it clear to him that I believe the, the consequences of that would be devastating for Russia. I'll go. Well, now Alexei Navalny is dead at the age of 47 in a Russian prison somewhere north of the Arctic Circle. So what will be the consequences for Vladimir Putin and the consequences for Russia? And does this change the equation of the aid package that sits with the House of Representatives passed by the Senate that brings $60 billion to Ukraine, but actually is utilized for the building of bullets right here in America? And how does any of this play into a long-term Strategy Certainly when Russia is trying to weaponize space, as we were told in this cryptic post by Chairman Mike Turner of the House Intelligence Committee, where it is believed what he is discussing is the ability to utilize space and utilize weaponry to destroy satellites, as they did one of their own spy satellites that they launched in 1982. Is Russia the threat of our lifetime or is this much ado about nothing? And is Joe Biden a guy who is going to live up to his own words? Tony Katz, good to be with you. That is a lot to cover. Senator Todd Young joins me right now from Indiana. He is the senior senator of Indiana and, of course, my senator as well. Sir, forgive the voice. It's just a cold. The mind still works pretty well. Uh, The news released this morning that Alexei Navalny, who has been the opposition uh, leader to uh, Vladimir Putin, who came back to Russia and was immediately put in in jail, has died in prison. your thoughts to that and to the how does that change, if at all, relations between the United States and Russia? Yeah, thank you uh, for having me on, Tony. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm playing a little hurt today, too. So uh, if I sound out of the weather, um, listen, it is uh, it's a somber occasion today. Um, Alexei Navalny, he was uh, without doubt. Uh, uh, the leader of the opposition movement, uh, such as it was in Russia. Uh, uh, certainly, that was the case after the killing of Progozin, uh just some time ago. And uh, he showed incredible bravery, character, heroism uh, over a number of years, uh, trying to build a, a movement of people mobilize that movement, even from behind bars, verbally communicating utterances to his attorneys who would in turn uh, put those on uh, social media. Uh, so we, we lost a uh, leader, of uh, a democratic leader uh, of, of world significance. He also demonstrated uh, to the world that many Russians don't want they don't want the autocrat in power. They want something other than Vladimir Putin. 
So uh, there is a natural inclination, especially in a totalitarian state, which is what we now have in Vladimir Putin's Russia. There's a natural inclination to rally around one's leader, uh, even uh, in the case of wars that uh, are instigated uh, by your own country and, and done so unlawfully and immorally. It's just a human pulse to sort of rally around one's, one's leader. But amidst those significant headwinds, we still know there is a massive, massive uh, group of people who uh, are, are prepared for, ready for something else. And, and so uh, I think it's important to sort of begin there because that lays a predicate for further conversation about the future of Russia and uh, whether or not this is an immovable force of Vladimir Putin, his cronies, and the military, uh, which uh, submits to his uh, every whim as, as we think about the conflict in Russia and some of the difficult decisions we're having to make. With respect to President Biden, there's no question uh, he laid down the, the proverbial gauntlet. He pledged there would be devastating consequences. When the President of the United States makes those sorts of pledges, uh, establishes red lines, those red lines have to be enforced. They have to be enforced. And so it begs the question, something uh, we'll be pressing President Biden on uh, consistently, what now? Well, I would say Congress also has an obligation. Uh, we need to continue to refor uh, resource the freedom fighters in Ukraine who are uh, paying in blood, playing, paying the United States uh, and our allies in blood for uh, diminishing the military capabilities of Vladimir Putin and also paying in, in, in blood. We send them the weapons. Uh, and, and, and they fight in order to deter further aggression in other areas of the world. You know, as bad as Vladimir Putin is, there are other autocrats who seek to undermine U.S. interests, from our trade to our intellectual property to our, our the very welfare of our families and communities. Xi Jinping, China, that's one of them. He's stealing big pieces of ocean wants to grab uh, Taiwan. Uh, we rely on Taiwan for a lot, but uh, among other things, semiconductors, which, you know, they go into everything with an on-off switch, try modern life without on-off switches. Um, my, my, so, I'm going to you know, bring it back then, just and, a little bit. Because I understand yeah. bringing up China, but I do want to focus, talking to Senator Todd Young uh, sure. of, of Indiana, and, and the focus is is not even on whether or not we should be supportive of of Ukraine. You talk about the Ukrainians play, paying uh, with their blood. That's absolutely uh, true. They were the ones yeah. who were invaded. I'm not saying it is right, but if there's something they're going to pay, that is exactly what is go they're going to pay with. I want yeah. to get back to what Joe Biden said, because it would seem to me that Joe Biden's commentary, quote, I made it clear to him, meaning Vladimir Putin, that I believe the consequences of Alexei Navalny dying in prison would be devastating for Russia. That is making a statement. That is a, that, call it a threat, call it what you will. So now the question is, has Joe Biden 
committed the United States to some kind of forceful reaction to Russia, towards Russia, on Russia, with Alexei Navalny dying. Yeah, well, what that's what we need to press him on, Tony. We don't want time and place of our choosing. We want an unambiguous response. We want a response like they're asking for jets. They're asking for tanks. We're giving them uh, jets and tanks to diminish Vladimir Putin's military power and uh, play, get him out of power. Uh, we are asking our secretary of state to... Uh, immediately convene ambassadors within NATO and uh, in in Japan and and, uh, so many other countries and saying collectively, we all decide uh, that we are going to be tightening down our sanctions. Uh, No more business with with Russia, because we know that uh, that's that's a porous exercise where uh, even even a little bit of of, of trade leads to benefits to their military. So that's the sort of response we want. We're already in a wartime posture in the sense that, uh, so there, there, there are many things that have, tools that have already been brought to bear, but there's additional things that need to be brought to bear. And this is where President Biden has fallen short. Um, you, can't, you can't be half in in a war. You're either at war or you're not at war. We are at war. It's a unique sort of war where, blessedly, uh, American-made weapons are being sent overseas uh, and given to other brave freedom fighters. Uh, so it doesn't require the deployment of our own forces. Um, and there, are, you know, we're not getting into the root causes. Happy to do that, but. But but so there there are limitations to our involvement in this war, but but we're at war, so we should not be pulling punches. And I've just listed a couple of things that I see we could do. But, you know, the president of the United States has the entire military apparatus. And to that end, sir, I'm going to I'm going to just forgive me for interrupting. Normally, I don't do that. Talking to Senator Todd Young, President Biden is speaking right now uh, and responding to reporters on this subject. I hope to God it helps. But I mean, the idea we need anything more to get the Ukraine aid. I mean, I mean, this is in light of a former president's statement that saying Russia, if if they haven't paid the dues to us, go get them. Come on. What are these guys doing? What are they doing? Sir, how concerned are you about the anti-satellite capability that Russia is developing? And what is your administration planning to do in response? First of all, there is no nuclear threat to the people of America or anywhere else in the world with what Russia is doing at the moment. They're starting to answer some other questions uh, being asked about, for example, that threat, as I I mentioned earlier, Representative Mike Turner uh, mentioning uh, on X. Uh, Your point being, Senator Young, that that you you believe that there should be a response to the death of Alexei Navalny. In your view, is that response one that is United States to Russia or is that response to you that the House should authorize what the Senate has already authorized in terms of an aid package? And that should be, in your view, there should be even more. And that should be the way we respond. 
Well, Tony, you're a really smart guy, and your listeners are smart, um, and and they will know, many of them will know, that I already support it. Before we knew that uh, uh, Navalny had likely been killed by Vladimir Putin, I already support it, uh, continuing to resource the Ukrainian, Ukrainian freedom fighters. But I also emphasize that if we're going to support them, we had to be in this thing to win. We had to be in this thing uh, not with undue reservations about risk of escalation. You know, that's a serious issue, but the president has, has showed too, far too many uh, reservations when uh, Ukrainians requested military platforms to send them. So now I think because the president has, has done something which is um, typically ill-advised, he established a red line. Maybe a red line that uh, he didn't wasn't prepared to enforce, but he established a red line. So there's an opportunity for the president. Number one, continue to make the argument, which he should have been making anyway. I'm glad he's making it now. Why this is important to the American people, why it's important to our way of life, our national security. And in the end, it's going to save us a lot of human and, and material resources anyway. So he needs to do that. But number two, once we authorize additional funding for the Ukrainian freedom fighters. Now we could say, you know what? I wasn't prepared to send tanks or whatever they need before standoff weapons. Uh, but I am now because Navalny has been killed. So he can have it both ways. And I would encourage him to do so. Now, folks like myself will, will be reminding people uh, that President Biden has, you know, but for his reluctance, Ukrainians may have already won, you know, I mean, so it's fair because he's up for a job interview for me to continue to make that that statement. Uh, but uh, I want what's best for our country, best for our security. So I would encourage him to go ahead and and uh, use this opportunity to finesse his support, increase his support for the Ukrainians. I hope that was clear. So just uh, for, for the sake of clarity, before I, I let you go, nothing about the death of Alexei Navalny, talking to Senator Todd Young of Indiana, has you thinking that because the president said the, the uh, consequences would be devastating for Russia, leads you to believe that President Biden, the United States, should get itself involved in a war posture with Russia directly, Rather, you would keep things to support of Ukraine. Well, exactly. And that's that is the answer is yes. I could stop there, but I think it's really important that I uh, add this. One of the primary reasons we are involved in Ukraine is is to prevent America's sons and daughters from having to be deployed on the ground in a NATO allied country. If Putin grabs Ukraine, the next big one is going to be Poland. Poland is on the border of Ukraine. Poland is a signatory to NATO. The NATO treaty says under Article 5 that if Poland's territory is attacked, is abridged, the United States and other countries will respond militarily. So, we would have a treaty obligation if we didn't respond pursuant to that treaty. No, it would be like violating a contract. Your credit score goes 
way up. Okay, so our our national credit score would go way up. No one would ever sign treaties with us. We'd lose our alliances. Our trading relationships would be undermined and so forth. So that's what's at stake. We want to prevent that cascading of events on the cheap. There is an opportunity for President Biden to step up, to put his money where his mouth is, and to actually resource the Ukrainians. Because I think Congress is going to put on his desk for his signature some additional resourcing. Um, to so that this stuff can be set in motion. Senator Todd Young of Indiana, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on short notice. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, there is more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. I have a bunch of stories about the economy I wanted to get to, and I just, I, I don't know, they're just hitting me as, the, as, as they hit me, and this came from the New York Post. An average pizza in New York, right? A staple, a staple of New York. The average cost of a pizza, a whole pie, is $33.65. That's for a one topping. So pepperoni, boom. That's nuts. Now, it might not be that much where you live, but these are the things, when we talk about the economy and how the administration doesn't see that we're bothered by what it is we're experiencing, they don't do these basics. 33 bucks for a pizza is too much for a pizza. This is Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Reports of his death, if they're true, and I have no reason to believe they're not, Russian authorities are going to tell their own story. But make no mistake, make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. Putin is responsible. What has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. No one should be fooled, not in Russia, not at home, not anywhere in the world. Putin does not only target his citizens of other countries, as we've seen in what's going on in Ukraine right now. He also inflicts terrible crimes on his own people. And as people across Russia and around the world are mourning Navalny today because he was so many things that Putin was not. He was brave. He was principled. He was dedicated to building a Russia where the rule of law existed and where it applied to everybody. Navalny believed in that Russia, that Russia. He knew it was a cause worth fighting for. Of this, I'm not questioning you, President Biden. I'm asking, what's your plan? Because you threatened devastating consequences. And I don't accept the idea that you're willing to talk like a big shot a couple of years ago, and now there's nothing to do. Why should I have listened to your big shot conversations then? And why should I trust anything you say now? 
You said to the world that Alexei Navalny is a freedom fighter. Alexei Navalny, that, that's my word right there. Alexei, Alexei Navalny is, is doing what is necessary against Putin. And if he should die in prison, the response to Russia and the consequences will be devastating. That is standing up for the opposition, standing up for somebody who, as you just stated, President Biden, wants a better Russia. Well, that man died in Russian custody, died in a prison north of the Arctic Circle. Lord only knows what happened to that man. You think I'm going to believe the official Russian story that he simply collapsed and then went unconscious and died? Hell no. No one is. So where's the response? You want to tell me that the response is just send more money to Ukraine? This tragedy reminds us of the stakes of this moment. We have to provide the funding so Ukraine can keep defending itself against Putin's vicious onslaughts and war crimes. You know, there was a bipartisan Senate vote that passed overwhelmingly in the United States Senate to fund Ukraine. Now, as I've said before, and I mean this in a literal sense, history is watching. History is watching the House of Representatives. The failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will never be forgotten. It's going to go down the pages of history. It really is. It's consequential. And the clock is ticking. And this has to happen. We have to help now. With all due respect. It is not that I don't support the idea of supporting Ukraine. I do. I understand what Russia is, I understand what Vladimir Putin is, and I must disagree with the people on social media who, after my conversation with Senator Todd Young, want to say, oh, Putin's not going after Poland, that's a red herring. With all due respect, of course he is. And to not think so is to not understand history, is to not understand Putin, and is to not understand the situation. But two things can be true at the same time. Tony Katz, that's me. Tony Katz today, 833 got Tony, 833-468-8669. It's not your radio, it's me, I have a cold. And, uh, and it's messing with the voice. I don't give a good holy damn what Tucker said in a video. Of course, Vladimir Putin has eyes on Poland. Vladimir Putin makes the claim that Poland is actually Russian territory. He is trying to reset the historical clock in order to have a pretext for that moment, which becomes a lot easier if he controls Ukraine, which is the argument for supporting Ukraine because it's a protection for Poland, which means a protection for NATO, which means a protection for the United States from getting involved in a conflict. Now, the populace may not believe that, but the populace is wrong. And I am more than okay with saying so. I'm down for this fight. But the very argument being made by Joe Biden about funding Ukraine is very much a, uh, a lost argument when you do not recognize that if the key objective is keeping Americans safe, and funding Ukraine to be able to fight a war against Russia so it doesn't involve U.S. troops keeps America safe. It would stand to any rational conversation 
that having a secure southern border to ensure that no ill actors can get into the country would be equally as important. So why is it that the southern border is not only just placed in second place to funding Ukraine, but doesn't even make it onto the same scoreboard, onto the same field, in the same game? If we're going to rank the things, one must protect their border before protecting anything overseas. I understand what Russia is. I understand what Vladimir Putin is. I get it. And even I, a supporter there in terms of supporting Ukraine against Russian invasion, I recognize as clear as day that the southern border has to be protected. You put together a border bill that was nonsensical. You then got the Senate to pass this legislation as a way of applying pressure, and you told Americans, we'll deal with your problem later. But first this. I'm not arguing that this, Russian invasion of Ukraine, Russian aggression isn't an issue and has long-term ramifications. I am arguing that to not think that the lack of protection on the southern border doesn't have long-term ramifications is such a radical concept that it is hard to understand how you function. You would get the funding for Ukraine if you would just build the damn wall. If you would just add the more technology. If you would just maneuver policy that allowed for people to work the farms because the food is necessary. Just the simple stuff. And you did it without connection to anything else. Stop connecting it to other things. Get those three things done. Why is this so hard for you? Why is it so hard for you to say, we are not going to take any asylum claims? We're going to secure a border... Because the threat from Iran, the threat from terrorists uh, like Hamas, uh, again, I mentioned Iran, the threat from Russia, the threat from the Communist Chinese Party. My gosh, there's a lot of threats out there, and they're just walking through. Lord knows the number of cells or the number of bad actors that have been able to cross the border. How many numbers in those gotaways involve those people? We know about the people we've gotten on the terrorist watch list. We don't know about the people we haven't, and we don't have a good enough border at all. So don't tell us we'll get to that. Don't tell those Americans that we'll get to that. The people who I disagree with about Poland, and I will tell you to your face that you are wrong. You're not wrong to notice that our southern border is not secure and that you're ranking that first. You're not wrong about that. It is nonsensical to fail to admit that. It's nonsensical not to address it. But goodness gracious, if you don't understand that Russia's objective is expansionist, you're not being honest with yourself. And in Joe Biden's speech, He was asked about, hey, you said there would be devastating consequences to Russia if Alexei Navalny, this opposition leader, died uh, in in their custody. Sir, first, was this an assassination? 
The answer is uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but there is no doubt that the death of Navalny was a consequence of something that Putin and his, and his thugs did. And to be clear, you warned Vladimir Putin when you were in Geneva of devastating consequences if Navalny died in Russian custody. What consequences should he and Russia face? That was three years ago. In the meantime, they faced a hell of a lot of consequences. They've lost and or had wounded over 350,000 Russian soldiers. They've made them in a position where they've been subjected to great sanctions across the board, and we're contemplating what else could be done. But the, the, what we were talking about at the time, there were no actions being taken against Russia. And that's, look, all this transpired since then. With, with all due respect, are you out of your mind? Man, see, it's times like these. I wish I had my voice. Are you out of your holy damn mind? That was three years ago, and there's been a hell of a lot of consequences. No, 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 no. You said if Alexei Navalny died, there would be the, the consequences for Russia would be disastrous. And now you're saying, eh. How many more times are you going to tell the world that you are a lying fraud, that all of your big, big talk is a load of crap? You giant windbag. Tell me more about corn pop. Oh, good God. Who is this guy? Who is this chump, this failed leadership? You were willing to talk big because there were no consequences for what you said. You didn't have to worry about it. And then all of a sudden it comes to fruition and you're like, eh. Which was always going to be your answer. All these sanctuary cities talk so big. We're a sanctuary city. We're not going to help immigration and customs enforcement. We're not going to let these law enforcement agencies work together. Then all of a sudden, they got 8,000 illegal immigrants dropped at their doorstep. Now they're crying to their mama while they also tell you how they really care about others. While they're throwing people out of their city. How easy it is to be a guy of big words. In big statements, when your plan is never to act on them, and it's always somebody else's problem to begin with. I don't have to have the consequences for them. I've already done tough things. And after all, isn't this all just Trump's fault to begin with? You know, we have to realize what we're dealing with with Putin. All of us should reject the dangerous statements made by the previous president that invited Russia to invade our NATO allies if they weren't paying up. He said if an ally did not pay their dues, he'd encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever the hell they want. I guess I should clear my mind here a little bit and not say what I'm really thinking, but let me be clear. Trust us. We accept the fact that you have a very clear mind. Clear, empty, however you want to describe it. What does Trump have to do with any of this? Any of this? This is an outrageous thing for a president to say. I can't fathom. I can't fathom. From Truman on, they're rolling over in their graves here in this. As long as I'm president, America stands by our sacred commitment to our NATO allies. 
as they have stood by their commitments to us repeatedly. Putin and the whole world should know if any adversary were to attack us, our NATO allies would back us. And if Putin were to attack a NATO ally, the United States will defend every inch of NATO territory. Which is reason enough not to let Ukraine be into NATO. But if we're supposed to reject dangerous statements made by Trump, we still haven't answered what we do with statements made by you. Threats made by you. You told Russia that the consequences would come. Can we stay focused? If no consequences, disastrous consequences come from the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny, then why'd you say it? Why should anybody believe you? Where's the moral authority, damn it? Or is this just another great example of pseudo-tough guy Joe Biden being a pseudo-tough guy? That's all he is. That's all he is. Just a guy who wants to talk a big blowhard game. Look at me, I'm really strong. And then when the moment comes, he's got nothing. Now, should I tell you, or would I tell you that I think that the death of Alexei Navalny means that we should go to war? No. But I wouldn't have made the threat to begin with. But it's important that you know that he did, and now he does nothing. And instead, goes on rants like this. We're looking at a whole number of options. That's all I'll say right now. Is there anything you can do to get ammunition to the Ukrainians without a supplemental from Congress? No, but it's about time they step up, don't you think? Instead of going on a two-week vacation. Two weeks. They're walking away. Two weeks. What are they thinking? My God. This is bizarre. And it's just reinforcing all the concern and, and, and almost, I won't say panic, but real concern about the United States being a reliable ally. You said there would be disastrous consequences and you don't do anything, but you're going to talk about Congress when, when discussing a reliable ally. Someone come claim this old man from Lost and Found and get him out of the White House. I'm Tony Katz. A story nobody is talking about, but I think everyone should. Did you know Mr. Beast brings in $700 million a year? Now, some of you are asking, who's Mr. Beast? And this is part of the issue. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Mr. Beast is a YouTube star. Content creator. He is the guy who does these crazy money giveaways and, and, and a whole series of things. His real name is Jimmy Donaldson. His videos are so insanely popular. We're talking about 
every video getting over 100 million views. He has 239 million subscribers. You want to talk about power? There it is. And he brings in 600 to 700 million each and every year. When you see that from a guy who who creates content, it's very hard to then say to uh, your kids, uh, don't make videos, don't make this, don't make that. There's no point. There's no money in it. There clearly is money in it. Uh, The problem is there might not be money for your kid in it. And this is the part that matters. I encourage, um, well, I, should, I should say encourage, I don't discourage my kids from making content. Although in their younger years, I would never allow them to appear on camera. No, you can't do that. Now it's a little bit different. I absolutely uh, am fine with, hey, you want to be a content creator? Go ahead. But you have to accept the fact that creating something doesn't mean people watch the something. And you can discuss how you're going to do this and do that and do the other. There's no answer for why something goes viral. There's no answer for why something hits. Why did this guy's videos hit in the beginning that allowed him to amass some of the dollars to do some of the crazy things he does to then get more views, to then get more dollars, to then keep doing the thing? But this guy is making $700 million a year. 700 million. That's what the revenue is bringing in. If you were doing 10% of that, you'd be the richest guy you knew. 1% of it, you'd be the richest guy you knew. If your objective is to only hit that number, like that success, you're never going to get anywhere. You can create because, well, you want to. Because you enjoy it. Because you can make a living at it. Yes, you can. Not everybody does, though. So you better have a plan B. But you should watch the videos and be like, how is this so popular? And then ask yourself, well, maybe I don't have to know the answer. Just recognize that it is. 700 million. That is a nutty number. This is Tony Katz today. I think uh, the, the theme of the day is being morally compromised, right? Right. As opposed to my voice, which is just compromised because of the cold. Morally compromised. The idea that, well, it's not that a situation has caused you to go against your own values, but rather when in the reality, what you believe, what you value is just, it's, it's, it's beyond lost. So maybe it's not morally compromised. Maybe it's just a lack of morals to begin with. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. Is is that how we think of Fonnie Willis in this trial? Because holy mackerel. Her taking the stand yesterday. Notice, no taking the stand today. She already said uh, not going to happen. Actually, it wasn't her. It was the the, um, Trump team in this case who are bringing this case about she's acted improper. She has a sexual relationship with the prosecutor. Of course, this is about charging Donald Trump. 
with election interference in 2020, utilizing RICO racketeering charges to go after him. And they have this relationship and they knew each other longer than they said they did. And he's getting paid more than she would have paid other people. And he's taking her on these vacations. And that, in my view, is a kickback. And so then she takes the stand and how dare you and the yelling and the screaming and the and the, and the carrying on. I mean, the madness of 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 Fonnie Willis on the on the stand and people are trying to defend it. I mean this is some of the stuff Fonnie Willis had to say so the point is that what you're telling us is that uh, you were uh, in financial straits but really that your testimony today is you had a cash hoard of maybe up to ten thousand dollars in cash where you laid your head at night so that you would dip out and there would be no record of it correct that's not what I'm telling you, sir. That's not that's not at all what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is that throughout the course of my life, I have always kept cash in my house. That cash has ranged from times, you know, my father would probably be ashamed of this because he would say it should be more. But that time that cash at times has ranged from five hundred dollars to maybe nine thousand dollars and he he would be like that is not what i told you to do um i've always had that amount of money what i've told you is that when i travel you do better negotiating when you travel if you have cash you can you go to get the cab they say oh we're gonna charge you 300 for the day well i got american cash will you take it for 150 and so it's my practice to take money when i travel we're not talking about a whole lot of money we're going to the bahamas 1500 in cash is in my pocket or at the most 2500 Belize was actually probably the most money I've ever taken and it was taken because it was a big deal my 50th birthday sucked his 50th birthday it sucked it was terrible no and so back to to some questions here I'm I'm trying to answer it I don't know how you even think you're answering the question by talking about how terrible your 50th birthday was when you're talking about all the cash that you keep on you or keep in your house because the cash supposedly is how she paid uh Nathan Wade back her lover the actual prosecutor that she hired to take on Trump in these cases in, in this whole RICO setting, she paid him back with cash that she kept at her house. But there are no receipts. And then she wants to follow it up with, see my 50th birthday, it just sucked. Well, I, I, I can't imagine why it was terrible. Because listening to you on the stand, you sound like a treat. I, how is it that guys aren't flocking to you? That's a whole conversation in and of itself. There's a whole conversation in and of itself about how she has engaged on the stand and the people who are angry. How dare you treat a black woman like this? And you're like, what are you even talking about? And then you realize, no, they're serious. They're serious. So you got to dig super deep into the culture of that. I'll get to that next week. The voice is just not going to let me get that deep on it right now. Just, it's not going to happen. No, I wanted to get into the idea of morally compromised. Morally compromised certainly can be seen as it looks like you were involved in a quid pro quo. It looks like you were involved in getting kickbacks from your lover for paying him so much. And he was rewarding you with trips that he would put on a business credit card, but you would allegedly pay for in cash. And what is your response? How dare you? And my 50th birthday sucked. Like that's, that's something else. But then there's Martin Griffiths who is the relief chief of the United Nations. 
Actually, the official title is Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator. That's a, that's a big, fancy title. You would think that with a big, fancy title like that, he'd be someone important, someone very focused on creating a good and just society. Here is Martin Griffiths. In terms of Israel's plan to eliminate Hamas and have them never be part of any future negotiation when it comes to Gaza, do you think that's realistic? I think it's very difficult. And as you say, I've, I've worked with many, many, many different terrorists and, and, and insurgent groups. Uh, Hamas is not a terrorist group for, for us, of course, as you know. It's a political movement. Morally compromised. Or, maybe better said, no morality whatsoever. We no longer have to ask ourselves, like for many years we have not had to ask ourselves, whether or not the United Nations provides any value. It doesn't. It doesn't provide any value at all. It is a horrific organization filled with the most violent, virulent people there are. The UNRWA, their relief network, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian refugees, they were aiding and abetting Hamas, which is a terrorist organization by every measure. But the UN doesn't see them as a terrorist organization. The United Nations doesn't see Hamas as the enemy of free and thinking people, of humanity. No, they're a... Wait, how did he describe them? They're a, they're a revolutionary kind of group? Wait, what? And as you say, I've, I've worked with many, many, many different terrorists and, and, and insurgent groups. Uh, Hamas is not a terrorist group for, for us, of course, as you know. It's a political movement. Hamas is not a political movement. Hamas is an arm of the Ayatollah, an arm of Iran, the mullahs, the the, the clerics. It is a group that wants to destroy Israel and kill all Jews. That's who they are. That's what they want to do. This isn't a debatable question. And there are plenty of people who will show uh, their support for Hamas. These people can be described as morally questionable or morally compromised. This, for example, is Rashida Tlaib, member of Congress, sadly, who never met a Hamas member she didn't love. And when the resolution came before Congress to condemn the use of rape and sexual violence by Hamas. She did not vote in favor of the resolution. She voted present and then has the audacity to come to the floor of the House and say, well, here's why. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. All acts of sexual violence are horrific. We should all be fighting to end it here at home and all around the world. So while the resolution on the floor today rightfully denounces any sexual violence by Hamas, I'm disturbed that it completely ignores and erases any sexual violence and abuse committed by the Israeli forces against Palestinians, especially children. War crimes cannot justify more war crimes. We must stand up for everyone's safety and human rights, no matter their faith, no matter their ethnicity. 
There are numerous well-documented reports of sexual violence, including rape, committed by Israeli forces against Palestinians in their custody. Children detained and stripped to their underwear in public for the world to see. Mr. Speaker, I'd like to submit for the record a Haritz article tired, titled Settlers and Soldiers Abused Palestinians. Without objection. The UN and human rights groups have raised alarms for years, but Congress did nothing, never cared. We all have a responsibility to denounce sexual violence in all forms, regardless of who is responsible. This resolution fell, falls well short of that responsibility, Mr. Speaker. I yield. First, uh, when you talk about the UN groups, do you mean the same group that was assisting Hamas in murdering Jews and Israelis and other people? Is that the UN group, Representative Tlaib? You Jew-hating bigot. But here's the big one. If you were to find me an Israeli soldier guilty of sexual abuse, the Israeli army would be on top of removing that soldier. True or false? It isn't from on high that you go about raping the women and videotaping it for the world to see. That's not how the Israeli army operates. That's not how the IDF operates. That is how Hamas operates. They raped women and videotaped all of it for everybody to see. They murdered and they burned children alive and videotaped all of it for the world to see. So, of course, Representative Tlaib, being a Jew-hating bigot, is involved here in a level of a moral equivocation that does not exist. It doesn't exist. It's not real. But she will make the claim that we have to go bigger and broader as opposed to announcing to the world that Hamas is a terrorist organization because she can't do it. And in my view, it's because, and I think in your view as well, she sides with Hamas. She sides with the terrorists. She sides with the destruction of Israel. She sides with the killing of Jews. What's the difference between her and any KKK member that would side with the killing of Jews and black people? Remember, remember, if, if you're black, uh, the KKK hates us both. So, you know, we got that in common. Oh, we have other things in common. That's the best when they're like, we don't have anything in common because of, of, of different skin color or, 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 or religion. Like, we, like somehow that, they get to decide whether or not we can like each other. Who the hell are they? See that? I lost my voice there. Who the hell are they? See, we, we didn't fix it in post. Do it live. Oh, oh, it's not easy to do radio when you don't have a voice. I'll tell you that much. But this, this level of moral, I don't even know what to call it anymore. Being morally compromised. Maybe it's not compromised. Maybe it's just being morally bereft. A recognition that there are indeed bad people. And they all seem to center around the same areas, which are these positions of power. You've run into bad people in your life. But have you ever seen such a concentration of them? Uh, except, you know, when you see these people who are on top, who are supposed to be leaders, they're, they're somehow in charge of things. How is that possible? Because very often people who are on top are promoted by other people in the same kind of ranks and areas. So exactly how many morally bereft people are leading the world? And is this what we want? The, the answer clearly to that should be, should be no. 
But it, it, it must start with a, a, a statement of these people have no soul. They have no character. They have no decency. Anybody who supports Rashida Tlaib is wrong. She is a disgusting, Jew-hating bigot. She won't vote to condemn rape and sexual violence. So I think it's very okay to say about Representative Rashida Tlaib that she's okay with women being raped. She's fine with it. I mean, as long as they're Jews. She's fine with it. You won't stand up against it because of some canard that you're inventing about the IDF? The IDF has no mathematics that says go out there and rape. No, no uh, uh, signed off uh, bit of, of legislation or ruling or, or, or dictate as opposed to Hamas, which clearly did. The fact that we would even have to go through that, that's crazy talk. And what we should do is take a step back and say, Rashida Tlaib, we see you. This is disgusting. Don't you know that we know that you're horrific? We get it. You hate Jews. It would be very hard to vote her out of her district. So what you have to do is completely isolate her within that district. Omar has to go and Ocasio-Cortez has to go and Jamal Bowman has to go and Ayanna Presley has to go. You have to run other Democrats against them because you might not get a Republican to win in those districts. You run other Democrats against them in primaries who at least don't have this level of of hate and don't have this moral ambiguity about them, this, this, this moral vacuum. They at least somewhere have a soul. We might disagree about other things, but dear God, you don't leave this in a, in a position of power. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the idea of being morally compromised. That's a bit of a theme going on. And it's in way too many people in too many high places. It's time for us to do our job and remove them from those positions via the vote and remove ourselves from supporting them with our checkbooks, which means a long look at the UN and the time to say goodbye. Well, how is that not right now? This is Tony Katz today. Wholesale prices are up. That means the cost of making the goods that you then sell is up. But retail sales are down. But the consumer price index, the price you're paying for everything is up, which makes sense because the cost of making the thing is up. This is where our economy is at. You've got Cisco Systems laying off 4,000 people. And as the news came out today, not only about the producer price index, which is up way more than expected, Nike is now uh, uh, laying off 2% of its workforce. That's 1,500 jobs, more. They're going to be doing a big restructuring. Now, sometimes it is exactly that. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Great to be here. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Sometimes a business makes a change. They, they, all right, we can do this. We can do that. We can reduce costs. Let's go do that. That isn't so much about the economy. Laying off 4,000 people in the tech sector, again, when we've seen constant layoffs in the tech sector, that's about the economy. If you're not right now in AI, you can't be guaranteed of a job. It costs more to make the thing. It costs you more to buy the thing. That is the story of this economy. Undeniable. 
and everybody's feeling it, and everybody knows they're being lied to. And I bring this up only as a reminder that you're not crazy, not to beat a dead horse, but that it's wrong that this administration, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, and others lie to us. Somehow this economy is strong, and we don't understand how great it is. We understand plenty. This economy is not working for a vast majority of Americans, and the administration doesn't want to notice or doesn't care. I mean, those are the options. This is Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Mr. President, just a quick follow on the same theme of consequences. You said just now that you spoke to him a lot about human rights. What do you say would happen if opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies? I made it clear to him that I believe the the consequences of that would be devastating for Russia. I'll go. Well, now Alexei Navalny is dead at the age of 47 in a Russian prison somewhere north of the Arctic Circle. So what will be the consequences for Vladimir Putin and the consequences for Russia? And does this change the equation of the aid package that sits with the House of Representatives passed by the Senate that brings $60 billion to Ukraine but actually is utilized for the building of bullets right here in America? And how does any of this play into a long-term strategy? Certainly when Russia is trying to weaponize space, as we were told in this cryptic post by Chairman Mike Turner of the House Intelligence Committee, where it is believed what he is discussing is the ability to utilize space and utilize weaponry to destroy satellites, as they did one of their own spy satellites that they launched in 1982. Is Russia the threat of our lifetime? Or is this much ado about nothing? And is Joe Biden a guy who is going to live up to his own words? Tony Katz, good to be with you. That is a lot to cover. Senator Todd Young joins me right now from Indiana. He is the senior senator of Indiana and, of course, my senator as well. Sir, forgive the voice. It's just a cold. The mind still works pretty well. Uh, The news released this morning that Alexei Navalny, who has been the opposition uh, leader to uh, Vladimir Putin, who came back to Russia and was immediately put in in jail, has died in prison your thoughts to that and to the how does that change, if at all, relations between the United States and Russia? Yeah, thank you uh, for having me on, Tony. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm playing a little hurt today, too. So uh, if I sound out of the weather, um, listen, it is uh, it's a somber occasion today. Um, Alexei Navalny, he was uh, without doubt. Uh, uh, the leader of the opposition movement, uh, such as it was in Russia. Uh, uh, certainly, that was the case after the killing of Prigozhin uh, just some time ago. And uh, he showed incredible bravery, character, heroism uh, over a number of years, uh, trying to build a, a movement of people mobilize that movement, even from behind bars, verbally communicating utterances to his attorneys who would in turn uh, put those on uh, social media. Uh, So 
we lost uh, our, uh, a leader of uh, a democratic leader uh, of of world significance. He also demonstrated uh, to the world that many Russians don't want. They don't want the autocrat in power. They want something other than Vladimir Putin. So uh, there is a natural inclination, especially in a totalitarian state, which is what we now have in Vladimir Putin's Russia. There's a natural inclination to rally around one's leader, uh, even uh, in the case of wars that uh, are instigated uh, by your own country and, and done so unlawfully and immorally. It's just a human pulse to sort of rally around one's, one's leader. But amidst those significant headwinds, we still know there is a massive, massive uh, group of people who uh, are, are prepared for, ready for something else. And, and so uh, I think it's important to sort of begin there because that – lays a predicate for further conversation about the future of Russia and uh, whether or not this is an immovable force of Vladimir Putin, his cronies, and the military, uh, which uh, submits to his uh, every whim as, as we think about the conflict in Russia and some of the difficult decisions we're having to make. With respect to President Biden, there's no question uh, he laid down the, the proverbial gauntlet. He pledged there would be devastating consequences. When the president of the United States makes those sorts of pledges, uh, establishes red lines, those red lines have to be enforced. They have to be enforced. And so it begs the question, something uh, we'll be pressing President Biden on uh, consistently, what now? Well, I would say Congress also has an obligation. Uh, we need to continue to refor- uh, resource the freedom fighters in Ukraine who are uh, paying in blood, playing, paying the United States uh, and our allies in blood for uh, diminishing the military capabilities of Vladimir Putin and also paying in, in, in blood. We send them the weapons. Uh, and, and, and they fight in order to deter further aggression in other areas of the world. You know, as bad as Vladimir Putin is, there are other autocrats who seek to undermine U.S. interests from our trade to our intellectual property to our, our the very welfare of our families and communities. Xi Jinping, China, that's one of them. He's stealing big pieces of ocean wants to grab uh, Taiwan. Uh, We rely on Taiwan for a lot, but uh, among other things, semiconductors, which, you know, they go into everything with an on-off switch, try modern life without on-off switches. Um, I'm going to bring it back just a little bit. Because I understand yeah. bringing up China, but I do want to focus, talking to Senator Todd Young uh, sure. of, of Indiana, and, and the focus is, is not even on 
whether or not we should be supportive of of Ukraine. You talk about the Ukrainians paying uh, with their blood. That's absolutely uh, true. They were the ones who were invaded. I'm not saying it is right, but if there's something they're going to pay, that is exactly what they're going to pay with. I want to get back to what Joe Biden said, because it would seem to me that Joe Biden's commentary, quote, I made it clear to him, meaning Vladimir Putin, that I believe the consequences of Alexei Navalny dying in prison would be devastating for Russia. That is making a statement. That is a that call it a threat. Call it what you will. So now the question is, has Joe Biden committed the United States to some kind of forceful reaction to Russia, towards Russia, on Russia? With Alexei Navalny dying. Yeah, well, what, that's what we need to press him on, Tony. We don't want time and place of our choosing. We want an unambiguous response. We want a response like they're asking for jets. They're asking for tanks. We're giving them uh, jets and tanks to diminish Vladimir Putin's military power and uh get him out of power. Uh, We are asking our secretary of state to uh, immediately convene ambassadors within NATO and uh, in in Japan and and, uh, so many other countries and saying collectively, we all decide uh, that we are going to be tightening down our sanctions. Uh, No more business with, with Russia because we know that uh, that's that's a porous exercise where uh, even even a little bit of 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 trade leads to benefits to their military. So that's the sort of response we want. We're already in a wartime posture in the sense that uh, so there, there there are many things that have tools that have already been brought to bear. But there's additional things that need to be brought to bear. And this is where President Biden has fallen short. Um, you can't you can't be half in in a war. You're either at war or you're not at war. We are at war. It's a unique sort of war where, blessedly, uh, American-made weapons are being sent overseas uh, and given to other brave freedom fighters. Uh, so it doesn't require the deployment of our own forces. Um, and there are, you know, we're not getting into the root causes. Happy to do that, but, but, but so there, there are limitations to our involvement in this war. But, but we're at war, so we should not be pulling punches. And I've just listed a couple of things that I see we could do. But you know, the president of the United States has the entire military apparatus. And to that end, sir, I'm going to I'm going to just uh, forgive me for interrupting. Normally, I don't do that. Talking to Senator Todd Young, sure. uh, your point being, Senator Young, that that you you believe that there should be a response to the death of Alexei N- N- Navalny. In your view, is that response one that is United States to Russia or is that response to you? that the House should authorize what the Senate has already authorized in terms of an aid package, and that should be, in your view, there should be even more, and that should be the way we respond. Well, Tony, you're a really smart guy, and your listeners are smart, um, and and they will know, many of them will know, that I already support it. Before we knew that 
uh, Navalny had likely been killed by Vladimir Putin, I already supported uh, continuing to resource the Ukrainian Ukrainian freedom fighters. But I also emphasize that if we're going to support them, we had to be in this thing to win. We had to be in this thing, uh, not with undue reservations about risk of escalation. You know, that's a serious issue, but the president has, has showed too, far too many uh, reservations when uh, Ukrainians requested military platforms to send them. So now I think because the president has, has done something which is um, typically ill-advised, he established a red line. Maybe a red line that uh, he didn't wasn't prepared to enforce, but he established a red line. So there's an opportunity for the president. Number one, continue to make the argument, which he should have been making anyway. I'm glad he's making it now. Why this is important to the American people, why it's important to our way of life, our national security, and in the end, it's going to save us a lot of human and, and material resources anyway. So he needs to do that. But number two, once we authorize additional funding for the Ukrainian freedom fighters. Now we could say, you know what? I wasn't prepared to send tanks or whatever they need before standoff weapons. Uh, but I am now because Navalny has been killed. So he can have it both ways. And I would encourage him to do so. Now, folks like myself will, will be reminding people uh, that President Biden has, you know, but for his reluctance, Ukrainians may have already won, you know, I mean, so it's fair because he's up for a job interview for me to continue to make that that statement. Uh, But uh, I want what's best for our country, best for our security. So I would encourage him to go ahead and and uh, use this opportunity to finesse his support, uh, increase his support for the Ukrainians. I hope that was clear. So just uh, for for the sake of clarity, before I, I let you go, nothing about the death of Alexei Navalny, talking to Senator Todd Young of Indiana, has you thinking that because the president said the the uh, consequences would be devastating for Russia, leads you to believe that President Biden, the United States, should get itself involved in a war posture with Russia directly. Rather, you would keep things to support of Ukraine. Well, exactly. And that's that is the answer is yes. I could stop there, but I think it's really important that I uh, add this. One of the primary reasons we are involved in Ukraine is is to prevent America's sons and daughters from having to be deployed on the ground in a NATO allied country. If Putin grabs Ukraine, the next big one is going to be Poland. Poland is on the border of Ukraine. Poland is a signatory to NATO. The NATO treaty says under Article 5 that if Poland's territory is attacked, is abridged, the United States and other countries will respond militarily. So, we would have a treaty obligation if we didn't respond pursuant to that treaty. No, it would be like violating a contract. Your credit score goes way up. Okay. So our, our national credit score would go way up. No one would ever sign treaties with us. We'd lose our alliances. Our trading relationships would be undermined and so forth. So 
That's what's at stake. We want to prevent that cascading of events on the cheap. There is an opportunity for President Biden to step up, to put his money where his mouth is, and to actually resource the Ukrainians. Because I think Congress is going to put on his desk for his signature some additional resourcing uh, to, so that this stuff can be set in motion. Senator Todd Young joining me earlier, and I appreciate him taking the, the, the time. I, I must be, uh, for, for the sake of clarity, as I've discussed, uh, I, I support the idea of supporting Ukraine. I certainly think that we are of it is a benefit to us as a nation uh, to help them survive. I, I, I absolutely I can argue this with anybody. But as I, I said earlier, the southern border is unprotected and we're worried about protecting another border. You, you, it can't work like that. And if you were going to say to me, well, Tony, we could do two things at once, but we're not, are we? We're not doing two things at once. We're just not. And, and this is the part where when, when you see people upset with, uh, with, with Senator Young on these subjects, I, I think this is it. And I think it's, it's not only worthy for, for him to notice, but for, for Congress as a whole to notice that there is a segment of America that is saying to you as clear as day, this isn't about whether or not we think Ukraine should be destroyed. We don't. It's that we don't think the United States should be destroyed, and it has to come first. So could you do us a favor and make it come first? That's where it is. And I think both the House and the Senate have done an unbelievably horrible job of addressing the subject, and this is all they have to do. Basic, simple legislation on the border. Finish the wall, which is a fence. Add the technology in the places where you don't have the wall. Do something about the labor issues that are necessary. Start there. Oh, and no more of this madness of asylum. A president who's willing to shut down a border when necessary. If not, immediately. But these three pieces that I mentioned, start there. Start there there but don't ask americans to somehow live in fear that if we don't stop russia in in ukraine utilizing ukrainian bodies we're going to be at war our southern border already looks like a war zone start there it's just that simple and that the house and the senate don't do it it disgusts us to no end And yeah, we're right to be disgusted. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. I think it's funny, I brought up earlier this idea of this, you know, who would vote for the Manchin-Romney ticket? Some people talking about that as a potential third party. And then Manchin comes out, like, not moments later, he's like, yeah, I'm not running for president. What are y'all, crazy? I guess he heard me. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. He heard me and he's like, you're right. There, there's nobody who wants me. This is, this is just uh, total madness. So ridiculous. Who, who am I to think that I could do this thing? His own party doesn't want him. There is no center that would be attracted to him and Mitt Romney. The right move. 
And in Kansas City, two juveniles have been charged with the shooting that killed one person, injuring 22. They had a dispute. A dispute. You mean it was gang-related? Wait, it wasn't gang-related? Okay, then what was it? What do you mean dispute? I don't think I'm the only one who thinks that that the, the, the motive conversation, the who are these people conversation, the shooting took place at the Super Bowl parade there in Kansas City, has been remarkably silent. Usually we know so much more. Two juveniles, we know that. It's a dispute, we know that. And we, we want to know how these juveniles are connected or how they were separated. I think that's a bigger question, too. This is Tony Katz today. So you have Navalny dead at 47. We're talking about Alexei Navalny, of course, who has been a major critic of Vladimir Putin in Russia. Vladimir Putin threw him in jail. Uh, Navalny was actually gone. He didn't have to come back to Russia. He did. And he was thrown in jail, and he's been in jail for years. And he's in a, he's in a prison north of the Arctic Circle. You can only imagine the hellscape. And he goes for a walk on Friday. And then uh, he does it. Well, yeah, today. And then he's not feeling well. And the next thing you know, boom, he's dead. That's not how these things work. I don't know how there isn't a question uh, as to what happened. Navalny was killed by Vladimir Putin. This is my take. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. And I know I'm not the only one. But the question is what happens now? You have these statements in the past from Joe Biden, that if Navalny were to die, well, the uh, the response, uh, the consequences would be devastating. Mr. President, just a quick follow on the same theme of consequences. You said just now that you spoke to him a lot about human rights. What do you say would happen if opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies? I made it clear to him that I believe the the consequences of that would be devastating made it clear to Vladimir Putin that the consequences would be devastating. I don't know what that means. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, military analyst, retired United States Army West Point graduate, of course, West Point guy. And, uh, and, and let's start with um, maybe the most basic of questions, which I, I never mind doing, I never mind starting with, with the, 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 the basics. Um, the death of Navalny, does this change the United States dynamics with Russia? Well, Tony, I think um, this is purely in the political arena now, um, given the fact that we've got an aid package that's kind of sitting around waiting for approval uh, in the House to help Ukraine. That's really the only way that, uh, that the Ukraine government and the military survive uh, over the next six months. They're almost out of ammunition as it stands right now. Um, Navalny's death really ends any opposition that took place in Russia. I think there's, you know, elections are coming up. So from the, you know, the political side of this, uh, obviously Vladimir Putin thought he could get through any, you know, let's call Western pressure, things like what Joe Biden said. Um, and it looks like he's right about it right now. So I know from a strategic perspective, you know, Russia now has got Ukraine on the ropes, um, has the United States not wanted to support, you know, we're, we're almost 10 years away from that comment that Barack Obama told 
Mitt Romney about, you know, the when Romney thought Russia was a threat, you know, the, the 80s called they want the foreign policy back. Well, you know, Russia remains a a threat to the United States and a threat to Europe's security. And this just proves that their leader will do anything he, he has to in order to, to maintain that power there. So, you know, Putin ends up from a strategic perspective is is, is really winning right now. But it, it would seem to me that that the death of Navalny would be something to try and uh uh, uh, and create a springboard in, in the U.S. to get the aid package through even before any border funding and therefore get Ukraine the assistance it needs to fight back to do damage to Vladimir Putin uh, uh, via proxy. So it, it would seem that something happening to Navalny would be not in the best interest of Vladimir Putin, true or false? Well, you would think on the surface, but it's just looking like against purely political that uh, both sides are hardening in our country about this. And I don't think, I just don't think it's going to move the needle from the GOP's perspective. I think that, um, you know, the, 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 the uh, you know, one side of the aisle didn't think much of Russia. And we saw also this last week. Now Russia is this existential threat by putting nuclear weapons in space. All of a sudden everything is Russia, Russia, Russia. Um, so what's what's going to move the needle? I, I I think that the media will try to, uh, and the administration will try to use this as some kind of a springboard. I just really don't believe it's still going to move the needle. You know, he was one person. To your point, came back, didn't have to do any of that thing, didn't have to do anything. Um, but um, but again, I I don't believe the needle's going to get moved just from the death of. Uh, yeah, I want to I want to discuss this idea of the needle moving. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, uh, we can go back to that debate between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, where um, uh, Barack Obama mocked Mitt Romney when he referred to Russia as our number one geopolitical mm-hmm. foe and said the 1980s mm-hmm. are calling and they want their foreign policy back. He mocked Mitt mm-hmm. Romney. On this uh, conversation, Mitt Romney was 1,000% correct, and Barack Obama was 1,000% wrong. Um, So so just as a a matter of going back to how long this has been a, a, a conversation, but what do you mean by move the needle if this is now political, which I don't disagree uh, necessarily right. with, with, your, with your thought process there. Describe to me what you mean by moving the needle. So, Tony, you got to take it a step further. you got to look at what Barack Obama does in 2014 when Russia invades Ukraine. He does really nothing. Sends, you know, non-lethal aid, you know, blankets and radios to Ukraine. Doesn't really help them do anything. Um, basically dismissed any kind of threat from Russia at that time. So he backed up what he thought was was the case. Um, and so now the political boundaries and the and the, and the you know, the, the, the battle lines are bright lines and they're drawn clear about the Republicans are saying, we're not we're not going to let you guys off the hook here because we always thought that was the case from the very beginning. Um, and so I, I think that's where it's at. I, I believe that um, that that uh, the, the, the border, the, the GOP has just basically said to themselves, we're, unless there's U.S. troops and forces at risk here, we're not going to do anything. It's a it's kind of a sad reality of where we are. So that's what I mean about move the needle. It's become so political. Both both sides have just are so clouded by not recognizing what what the real threat is. Because you know, really, at the end of the day, what what countries do internally doesn't doesn't really threaten the United States. Doesn't threaten outside countries. It just demonstrates more behavior that they're 
they're willing to do. And it just demonstrates more things that they're capable of. And we always knew that about Russia anyway. So in some ways, this was a fait accompli. You know, Russia was not ever going to let this guy out of prison anyway. So it, it's your take that the death of Navalny doesn't necessarily change any equation in the United States as to whether or not the aid package for Ukraine goes through. I don't think so, Tony. I just, it's an unfortunate. That's just what I think. Based looking at the the tea leaves right now, I I just don't see this as enough of a unifying factor. It's an internal challenge inside of Russia. It, it it's going to take some other force that's going to have to act on uh, in order for I think um, for the House to, to to move the needle on whether they get that aid package. But but sadly, you look at the front lines. The reports that I'm seeing, you have Ukraine forces that are surrounded in certain player in places in the Donbass region. Um, and as they run out of ammo, as they're trying to conserve fuel, conserve um, their their equipment, it's it's now getting to the point where it's going to get into spring here soon. Russia can more or less go on this offensive and grind down those those frontline troops there. So from a military perspective, it's it's very unfortunate. I would take it, uh, Major Lyons, that you would think it was the better strategy to provide uh, the the aid and provide the the weaponry and the ammunition to Ukraine and to do so right now. Uh, Have you spoken to Republican members of Congress who are saying, how do we move on this when we haven't moved on border protections yet? I've spoken only to their aides, not specifically members of Congress. My position is what I don't get from a political perspective is that this is not money going to Ukraine. It's not necessarily going into oligarchs' pockets. It's money that's going to defense contractors in Alabama and places, you know, up and down the East Coast and factories to make artillery ammunition. I think we've we've bumped up the artillery ammunition. I think we're at 45,000 rounds now a month. We opened up another supply chain in Texas to do that, which was which is good. Um, but to create stingers and AT4s and, and the things that uh, the Ukraine needs to buy from. Now, that is not to say with $50 billion, there will be graft and there will be some things that go off to the side. And we know that sometimes that money winds its way back into the pockets of you know political campaigns. But but again, it's, it's not money that's going to Ukraine. It's going to uh, U.S. jobs and keeping uh, uh, keeping Americans employed. So to me, I don't under- understand why. Uh, the Republican Party just can't be, get behind some of that thing. And no, okay, connected to the border, we, correct. We might, you know, we might be able to do that. But but the the immediacy of what's happening right now, this is where it's pure political. Uh, you know, to tie it to what's happening in Ukraine um, is just making it more complex. Uh, I and I have made the argument just so you know that the problem is is that they made it about Ukraine funding and didn't make it about creating uh, more bullets. If you created legislation and said mm-hmm. we're going to spend this money and we're going to re up our stockpiles, it would pass without question. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, a West Point guy uh, right there, a West Point graduate. I always say West Point guy. I don't mean that to be in a... I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to make it a little more casual. I don't think I, I, don't think I should. I should be a little more official with that. Uh, but uh, let us now get into the part two here, which is about Russia and the weaponization, if you will, of space and how they took out one of their own satellites, a spy satellite that they launched in 1982. They blew it up in space, uh, created a tremendous amount of debris. Uh, Nations around Mm -hmm. the world said, my God, what are you doing? It seemed that this so-called threat that uh, Chairman Mike Turner, uh, House Intel Committee, was talking about was their ability to do just that. Uh, That is not an Mm -hmm. imminent threat, like as, as in a threat to our lives today, but it does lead to where 
the the idea that Russia doesn't look at itself as somebody who has global intentions or expansionist intentions, well, that's not true. They have both. They have right. global expansion uh, in 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 their mindset. True. Sure. Yeah. No. I, there's no question, and they recognize that space as a as a domain is going to be something that's going to be contended. And, and uh, you know, 1967, about 111 countries signed this treaty that says basically no weapons of mass destruction in space. And we get this report about potentially a nuclear weapon doing it, but it doesn't have to be a nuclear weapon. It's literally a Star Wars. It's literally an electromagnetic pulse type uh, piece of equipment that as satellites converge can knock out multiple satellites that, that uh, I mean, thank God we had the foresight to come up with the Space Force that that's got to think both offensively, what would we what would we do in space, but then also defensively to protect satellites that are important to our military. Look, if you want to navigate in the world these days and communicate, you have to have these satellites. There's not a lot of countries that that are up in space that that, that have this capability. It's it's you know India, Japan, uh, Russia, China, United States, um, and if and if uh, it's got it's going to be something to be contended. So um, I, I I just kind of coincidental. It's all coming out the same week that Ukraine needs money and Navalny gets killed here. It's just, it's just all of a sudden all, everything has bubbled to the top. It, it, that's, I think an interesting part to this, that talking to major Mike Lyons, retired United States army, that it has kind of all come together. You had, you had the, the Tucker Carlson interview. You had, uh, uh, then, um, uh, this conversation about Ukraine funding. Now, then you had, uh, mm-hmm. this, this, uh, announcement of a, of the, uh, threat and how uh, Chairman Turner wants uh, Biden to declassify everything mm-hmm. so they can discuss it with allies. And then you have the death mm-hmm. of, of, of Navalny. We talk about how it affects maybe the war effort, right? And, and, and to mm-hmm. the extent that the United States will be supportive and, and, and what aid packages are we sending and how uh, they're definitely, and I'm one of the people, if you haven't done anything about the border, it's hard to get the idea that we should do something about Ukraine. You mentioned that this is about uh, the the creation of bullets right here in the U.S., and I argue you should have handled it differently or they should have handled it differently. But we haven't asked what the situation is in Russia. How will things be responded mm-hmm. to there? We understand that certainly uh, anybody who would dare act in, in opposition is going to get the Navalny treatment, and that's the point of right. killing Navalny. Uh, but what is the situation throughout most of the ground uh, in in Russia, how much more of Putin will they handle, or are they very okay with not getting killed and just letting this ride? Yeah, they're letting it ride, and and as Vladimir Putin controls the communication channels, controls the major oligarchs, still controls all of the logistics supplies and the cape every you know down to the how you know Russians are getting their groceries in, in the market. So uh, there's no change here, and whether they're impacted or not, you know, remains to be seen. It's just going to be shown that, you know, rising up against this, this uh, regime that he has there is just going to get you killed. So, you know, this is in Russia's DNA. Unfortunately, this has been going on since, you know, Russian revolution since the, you know, 1917 and 18 and on. And then as they, as they get into the Soviet union, that, that market collapses. And now they're in this, they're, they're back to the, it's back to the future. Um, You can blame us bad foreign policy in the nineties and, and not not figuring this out what to do but uh we're 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 kind of right back to where we were during the cold war and as it, it gets colder every every month that goes by as as russia gets more 
uh, with regard to what's happening in Ukraine and, and the security. Now, I do think, though, that they're still not that strong externally, right? Uh, the Germans and the French and, and these NATO countries, they're still balking at probably investing because they think deep down that the Ukraine military is still attriting the Germans and uh, they, they're, they're being practical about it. Um, but Russia still has always historically shown to have tremendous capability and resiliency to things like this. And so I don't think it's going to matter one bit to, to the people of, inside of Russia. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. There is more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. And now your daily reminder of how unserious Vice President Kamala Harris really is. There cannot be, in my opinion, peace and security for that region, for the people of Israel or the Palestinians and the people of Gaza without a two-state solution. And we cannot give up on that. (laughs) But how we get there is going to matter. How do you get there with Hamas still in power? That's the only question for Vice President Harris to which you will not get an answer that makes any sense. I actually have exclusive audio of when asked, how do you get there with Hamas still in power? That is correct. You cannot have a two-state solution if one side is a terrorist organization that wants to kill another side. Hamas is a terrorist organization that wants Israel destroyed. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, what's going on? I don't care where you are on the subject. I'm just stating a fact. You can't you can't get to that place. I'm not even saying it's a bad place. Can't get there if there's a terrorist organization involved. Oh, I know. They'll call Israel the terrorist organization. Uh, but uh, if, if you haven't, you know, heard me discuss the insanity of that argument, you want to call them both terrorist organizations, Hamas and Israel? Fine. Let them fight it out. Let's see who wins. But of course, that's not the case. And rational people know this and irrational people are Rashida Tlaib. That's, that's how this works. Meanwhile, uh, here in in my beloved Indianapolis, Indiana, they've got the NBA All-Star Weekend uh, going on. I really do hope it goes great and goes safe and everybody spends all their money and then goes home. Uh, I'm a simple man with simple wants. That's all I'm asking for. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z, TonyKatz.com. Monday, everyone. Take care.